it's the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. I'm Crispin Schroeder. Today on the podcast, we welcome special guest, Bert Wagner, former national director of the Vineyard Movement, and uh, I really respect, plan a lot of churches, and looking forward to what he uh, delivers with us on this Sunday message. So without further ado, let's go ahead and head to downtown Covington, North Shore Vineyard Church. Thanks for listening. blessed you are to have people like this leading uh, there's something very authentic about both of them they they are the real deal and uh, not only are they the real deal they're ones that uh, I preached a sermon that that Crispin heard actually uh, uh, a few months back at the regional conference on going for the gold and these are people that are going for the gold they're not going to settle for the artificial and I don't feel anything artificial here in the church. It doesn't feel real religious. It doesn't feel like that you, you know, that's uh, dehumanizing in any way. Instead, I, I just feel the life, and I know that's there as a result of the kind of leadership that they're providing. And uh, uh, not only uh, does Crispin uh, uh, is he a great musician. He is a great musician. I love that song that he led this morning and then the comments that he made because just this morning Evelyn and I got up and I was reading to her from from Matthew about the lilies of the field and uh, don't worry and why are you you know don't worry just seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything will be all right you know and uh, then he came along and and led us in that song which is uh, I told him I got to have a copy he said it won't come out till uh, for four weeks and I said I got to have it before then because it's just <laughs> too good to wait for um, but it's also good to be with you I mean I I was blessed just walking down. We stayed down here at the Southern Hotel last night. A wonderful, wonderful place to stay. And uh, walking over, and I saw the the community church over here, and I think some Catholic ministries over on this side. And I thought, I like the feel of this right here in the center, center of Covington because I love the church. I think the most important thing in the world that's happening, though it might not appear to be, is happening in the church. And... What I see here is not just people. I see a people joined together by the Spirit of God that makes it a unique assortment of people. And I, 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 so I love being here with you, and I love what you're doing here in Covington. Well, uh, I have a couple questions for you. First is a comment and then a question. But uh, I'm 72 years old. I know I don't look like it, but I am. And... Uh, <laughs> These are questions that I'm still asking myself. And uh, really have been asking him uh, most of my life. One is, are you satisfied with your life? Are you satisfied with your life? Is it what you expected it to be? Or have you been disillusioned by life? Is it possible that there's more to life than you are now living. Uh, Is it getting better or is it getting worse? These are really important questions. They're the kinds of questions that uh, are questions that I'm sure that 
that Robin Williams was pondering a few weeks back just before he took his life. And many are pondering those questions torn by the anxieties and the fears and the concerns of life. Uh, polls recently released indicate that Americans as a whole don't believe life is as good today as it was in the past. Of course, that's kind of a syndrome of living in the good old days. In those good old days, they were still living in the good old days before that, and it was some way of kind of elevating life in the past over the present. But the majority believe that the future for their kids will not be as good as theirs. Of course, it is, good, it is easy to glorify those good old days. Well, what I'd like to do today is share with you the secret. This sounds like a bold statement, but I, I think I can uh, support it. One of the major secrets for getting the most out of life. For getting out of life what God really wants us to enjoy. Does that sound appealing or is it okay? To do this, I want to look at a story that's told in John chapter 9. It's, in most Bibles, it's titled, Jesus Heals the, born, the, the Man Born Blind. But I think that misses the real point. I think there's an issue of seeing that is much bigger than just the man that's born blind. And as a result of, uh, of a lack of seeing, life is robbed of, of its vitality and strength. In this story, there's seven major characters or character groups that I'd like to look at. So I'd like to put them in a photo album that highlights each of these uh, characters in the group. First, I just start with Jesus. He's kind of the one that really stands out because ultimately it's uh, he's the, the focus of this. And what stands out about Jesus in this story is that it just starts with the fact that he saw a man that was born blind. He saw a man born blind. He had been down that road many times. This particular time, he sees this man that's born blind begging on the street. He sees a man, a particular man, a man that had been blind from birth. He sees him. He pays special attention to him. John 9, once, as he went along, he saw a blind man from birth. Just a blind man from birth. Everybody sees him. They walk by him. But you know, there's something really important about this because there's a fundamental basic need we have to be seen. And this man had known disempowerment year after year after year as people walked by him and didn't even notice that he was there. There's a play that I, I really like, Samuel Beckett's uh, The uh, uh, Waiting for Godet, Godot. And in it tells the story in the first, in the first uh, uh, scenes, it's... Uh, of these uh, two beggars that are waiting for Godot to come because Godot's going to give them what they really need in life. And, and he sends a young boy and the boy comes and says, well, Godot can't come. 
second uh, uh, scene comes back and it's the same thing. He comes and the boy comes and says, well, Godot can't come today. But he will come. And Vladimir, one of the, one of the beggars, says, uh, well, would you tell Godot that you saw us? And there's this pondering and he stops and he says, you did see us, didn't you? You did see us, didn't you? You won't come back and tell us that you didn't see us. Because there's something about seeing that gives life significance and meaning. And so we're all searching to be seen. And here's a blind man continually ignored by others. Occasionally somebody dropping a coin into his bucket. But Jesus comes and he sees a blind man. And the next thing that Jesus sees is that, that he's a man that God is doing something in. His disciples ask, who sinned, this man or his father or, or, or his parents? And uh, Jesus responds, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works might be displayed in him. See, Jesus sees him in this way where he looks and he says, whoa, God is at work in this man. No one else saw him that way. Only Jesus really saw the man as he really was because Jesus saw him as one in whom God was at work. The third thing that Jesus saw was dirt. He spit on the dirt and made some mud, just ordinary mud, made with his spit, very earthly thing. Just sees those normal, ordinary things and says... These are something that can be used for God's purposes. Just the common, the ordinary. Spit and dirt, making mud and rubbing in it on his eyes because God is going to take the common, the ordinary. He's going to work through very earthly things in order to bring about his purpose of healing. He sees this. So after spitting... Saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seen. Well, he not only saw, he also did some amazing things. He engaged this young man, put some mud on his eyes, and then told him to go off and wash in, uh, wash in the pool of Siloam. Later on, he's aware that that the young man is being rejected and he sees what's happening then and he comes back to the young man and we'll have more to say about that a little bit later on. Now let's look at the set, second set of characters in there. This, 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 the disciples. Sometimes the disciples are just strange people. <laughs> kind of like us, I think. Because really, you need to understand that you're in this narrative somewhere today. You are one of the character sets that are in there. We all enter into this story in one way or another. Here's the disciples. They really don't play a major part in the narrative. 
just in the introduction to the narrative, they uh, uh, are primarily observers. They're watching Jesus and he's discipling them in the process. They've seen Jesus already, but they haven't really seen him yet. They won't see him till later when Peter is asked, who is the Son of God? And Peter responds, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. They don't know that at this point. They, they, they know he's special. And they have some hints that are working, but they haven't yet a clear vision, a clear picture. They haven't yet seen Jesus in terms of who he is. They have assumptions that are causing them to see the blind man in a way that is quite in contrast to the way that Jesus saw him. Their assumption is kind of a theological assumption that was somewhat prevalent in the custom and culture and theological understanding of, of the Jewish community at that time was that somebody had to sin in order for this condition to exist in this young man. It was either his parents sinned before he was born and thus it was passed down as kind of the, the fruit of their, their lifestyle or else it was, uh, this person sinned in, maybe in his mother's womb. So they assumed that. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? So they see him either as a bad sinner or sinned, one who sinned uh, in his parents, uh, in, in, through his parents. And their assumption that blinded them to other realities was that blindness came because of someone else's sin. So that's just basically all we have of the disciples at this point. Probably more of us adjust into that situation than, uh, and that, that uh, character role than uh, most of the other uh, characters here. Now let's look at the third character who really stands out as a major player in the story. He's the blind uh, beggar. They have Jesus and the blind beggar. They kind of are the highlight. He must have seen Jesus in some kind of special way because he did let him put mud on his eyes. It seems like you, you'd have to trust somebody a little bit if they're going to, you're going to allow them to put mud on your eyes. So he must have seen that Jesus was very special. He must have, first of all, seen Jesus as some kind of healer. He heard the stories, enough confidence had gotten there where he, he really saw Jesus in that way. And, and, uh, but then as, as the story goes on, he starts seeing in a different way. He comes and he has physical sight given to him. And then after he has the physical sight come to him, then the... Pharisees, the religious leaders came and said, ask him who Jesus was. And it's interesting because his eyesight keeps getting better. They turned to the blind man and said, what have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he's a prophet. I think he had moved forward. He had seen something beyond Jesus just as a healer. It's seen him as a prophet. His eyes are being opened. Probably in a more significant way than physically having his eyes opened at this point. 
Something that would bring him more life than having his physical eyesight was happening to him as you see this transition towards understanding that Jesus was a prophet. But then later Jesus comes back to him and and Jesus, you see, is coming as a healer, but he's, he's moving this man along in terms of opening his eyes. At first, he's just kind of seeing men as trees, and his sight gets better and better and better. And Jesus heard that they had thrown him out of the synagogue, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. You have now seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking to you. You know, kind of, I kind of, if I put this in a movie, I'd just put all kinds of things, just lights flashing and everything going off, you know fireworks and everything you've seen him and he really did the man said Lord I believe and as a result of seeing he worshipped him he worshipped him it's kind of like again Peter when Jesus came to him he says thou art the Christ the son of the living God ultimately he sees Jesus in a way that causes him to bow down and to worship He not only sees, but he both obeys and challenges those who discount him. He works his way down to the pool of Siloam with mud running down his face, cups the water in his hands, pulls it up, begins to wash his eyes and face, and then he sees. He gains courage through seeing. See, there's power to live the good life when your eyes are opened and you see reality. John Locke, great educational philosopher, taught us in the Western world that we see reality. There's a one-for-one correlation between what we see, and, uh, and so we can apply words to that, and we have truth. But the fact is, we're all born blind. We're all born blind. And our best attempts at seeing reality are distorted. But God comes to open our eyes. Jesus comes to open our eyes. We gain courage. He confronts his, success, uh, his, uh, his accusers. I love it. They come and they say, you know, who are you to be saying these things? And he asks him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? I love that, don't you? That's what it is when you really get to where you see Jesus. You can understand why these people don't understand because they don't really see Jesus. He had really seen Jesus. Again, the uh, uh, he just throws out the best theology he has at this time towards these religious leaders. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. Uh, I don't know about his theology there. He listens to the godly person who does his will. No one has ever heard of opening the eyes of a blind man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. He, so he goes into, 
I don't know, I think you could probably evaluate some of his theology here and say, well, let's see, probably not. But really doesn't matter at this time because he's given the best testimony he can that comes from the reality of the fact that he's seen Jesus, you see. He goes to his home and so on. Well, there's a fourth set of characters in this narrative. The man's parents. This is the man's parents. They see their son as no longer blind. That's basically what they see. They like what's happened to him, but because of fear of the religious leaders, fear of the religious leaders, fear is a terrible emotion that keeps us from seeing reality. And as a result, missing much of life. They're fearful that they'd be thrown out of the synagogue, so they deferred to their son and reminded the religious leaders that he was old enough to respond for himself. Because of fear, they refused to go on and see Jesus. You ever find yourself maybe blinded by fear? Where you think you're seeing, but most likely, if you're bound by fear, you're not seeing. Then you have the neighbors and the ones who walk by the beggar every day. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging ask, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? I mean, you've been walking by him day after day. See, as in the story of Godot, no one had seen this blind man other than just kind of passing by, just kind of passing by. Others said, no, he only looks like him, but he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they asked. And he replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Salome and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked. So here's the ones that, Kim, just don't pay attention. They walk by these people every day. They never notice that there's a blind man. They don't know his name. They're not for sure that it's the same person. Neighbors. Friends, co-workers, just not seeing the man at all. To where they couldn't even recognize whether it was the same man. The sixth set of characters that stand out are the protagonists, the religious leaders. And what they saw in Jesus was a religious deceiver. They saw him as a threat to their livelihood. Their jobs were on the line. So they attacked and ridiculed the beggar. You know, if you don't like the message, we'll kill the messenger. That was their approach. If it's threatening to you, then kill the one that's bringing the message. If the message is threatening to you, kill the messenger. So a second time they summoned the man who had been blind, give glory to God by telling the truth. They said, we know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to be his disciples? Don't you like this guy? I, I, I like him. 
kind of reminds me of Dana. You know, Dana, just, we were having dinner together last night. She just kind of tells it like it is, you know. I loved it. Uh, then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. <laughs> like, this was an insult. And he turned it around and said, we are disciples. I mean, they said, we are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. And the man answered, now that's remarkable. You don't know where he has come from, yet he opened my eyes, and so on. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. So they saw Jesus as a deceiver, and they saw the former blind man as foolish. Well, I started this out by saying there were seven characters, but I've only mentioned six. Where's the seventh character? The seventh is the Holy Spirit. He's the unseen actor in this story. He's not mentioned, but as a believer, we must look for the Holy Spirit in every story in the life of Jesus. Because he's there. Spirit is involved in every story. He doesn't draw attention to himself, but we know he's there. We find him by coming to understand what he does. Then when we, when we see what things the Spirit does, then we highlight those things in the story. And we can see the Spirit's work in the narrative. Now before I go further with this narrative, I need to make a few things clear. The first that we need to understand is that Jesus was a spirit-filled man. He did what he did, living life in relationship to the Holy Spirit. He was always dependent on the Holy Spirit in everything he did. Even after his resurrection, it says that he gave instruction concerning the kingdom in the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit even after his resurrection. Uh, according to Philippians 2, 6 through 8, he laid aside the prerogatives of deity and like us became dependent on the Holy Spirit to live the good life. You see, Jesus is the second Adam who undoes what the first Adam did in disobedience. The second Adam comes, he is God and he is man. But as a man, he walked among us. As the God-man, he walked among us dependent upon the Holy Spirit. This is what we see in Philippians chapter 2. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to, to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. And we see this perfectly demonstrated in the fact that he was conceived by the Spirit, and he was in the waters of baptism. Again, the Holy Spirit came upon him, giving to us the model of the second Adam, so that he walked as one as we walk, finding life dependent upon the Holy Spirit. 
So we need to understand this, that the primary work of the Spirit is to help us see reality. This, this, Jesus walked this way, and one of the primary works of the Spirit is to open our eyes to where we see reality, to where we go beyond what John Locke told us, that we just in the natural we can see things as they are. We can have the Holy Spirit. This has great... It got any educators here? We... This is really important. In John's gospel, he's described as a teacher, a counselor. What do, what do these have in common? They help people see reality. That's what a teacher does. It's what a counselor does. Kind of nurture along to where you begin to see reality and adjust your life to reality. They help people see. He's the one who brings light. He's the illuminator. He's the great optometrist. Jesus says that this, his role is to cause people to see truth. Truth, not first as ideas. Truth as reality. The idea is that every person is what somewhat blind to ultimate reality. And it's the work of the Holy Spirit to help us. See, everyone here is seeing in a different way today. Even what I'm speaking, you're seeing it in a different way. I haven't arrived yet. I'm confident of that. And I can't imagine what it's going to be like when I ultimately see reality in its fullest, which is going to come in the revelation of Christ where John tells us uh, it doesn't yet appear what we will be. We don't yet see it. But when he comes, we will be like him, and we will see as he sees. Wow, that's exciting. But the future coming kingdom in the work of the Holy Spirit is available to us today to be transforming our ability to see reality. He's the one author, one author called him the go-between God. He stands between men and reality to give us a clear picture of reality. He's like a tour guide taking us through life and saying, notice this, or look, you see, Jesus going along, the Holy Spirit says, whoa, whoa, blind man here. Pay special attention to that. I love living this way because it, it just changes everything when the Holy Spirit is bringing your attention to it, you see. So one of his works, as I might say, a primary work is to give us a God's eye view of reality. And you don't have to be a theologian or a philosopher to come into contact with reality by just this ongoing work of the Holy Spirit that's available to every one of us. Now with this in mind, let's see where the Spirit is working in the story of Jesus. He draws attention to the blind man. The Spirit shows Jesus to the disciples uh, in such a way as to make him want to follow them, uh, follow him. So he's the Spirit's at work there. He shows Jesus that God is at work in the life of this beggar. No one else saw it. What did Jesus see it? Because the Spirit says, this is for God's glory. He draws the attention of Jesus to the dirt and this whole thing of spittle, the Spirit is, and so then we have the Spirit giving sight to the blind man in these stages. He sees that Jesus is just as a healer, then he sees him a prophet, then he sees him, as his vision gets better, he sees that it is indeed the Christ, the Son of the living God. He worships him. 
And uh, he's also endeavoring to give sight to the protagonists, but they're rejecting what he's trying to show them. That's the reason for their, their bad behavior. They're rejecting the reality that stands there because sometimes we don't want to see the light because when the light comes, it requires us to make some changes. So we reject the light and we shut it out. This leads me to the whole point of this sermon. If you want life at its fullest, you will do so by being in touch, by seeing truth, by seeing reality. Not just religious reality, but all of reality. To do this, you need the Spirit of God to open your eyes so that you can be in touch with that reality. It's an experience. Jesus put it this way in the great sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be filled with light. <laughs> light and life. Your whole body will be filled with light and life. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, you don't, maybe don't know it, but it's darkness. You're not really seeing reality, but you think you're seeing reality. I mean, it reminds me of a, the cave in, in Plato's uh, idea of the cave and the shadows on the back of the cave, and you think you're seeing reality, and you're not seeing reality. You're only seeing the shadows. If you want to get rid of the shadows, then you need the Holy Spirit because Jesus says, if... If then the light within you is darkness, how great is your darkness? Now, let me just give a few examples of what I'm saying here. Uh, I think that when the Spirit comes, we see all of reality in a different way. And He's continually wanting to bring us into touch with reality. To see beauty. We were created to see beauty. Jesus looks at, at, at dirt and mud and he sees something beyond just dirt and mud. There's something of beauty in this whole thing. My own personal experience, God has been working this in me for a number of years because I tended to be religious where you had the spiritual over here and then you had the earthly over here and kind of separating them off and so, you know, you're real religious when you're in church, but when you're looking at a sunrise and all of a sudden the sunrise becomes something that isn't just an object out there, it becomes a person that's just kind of overwhelming you with the glory of what it is. Have you had that experience? And uh, I came to understand that the work of the Holy Spirit is there working to show us beauty. And I think he does this with believers and unbelievers because the Lord causes the sun to shine on the just and the unjust. And some artists are able to capture something because of a gift of God by the Spirit where they see a reality and they can take a small geranium and paint it on a window shelf and you look at it and you're almost captured by it because they see I was just learning some of these things and sitting in my backyard and I was just thinking about the Spirit as they're opening my eyes where I begin seeing things as the Spirit sees them. 
recognizes him as the go-between God who stands between us and all reality to open our eyes. And, and so I'm sitting in the, on the back patio and I'm watching the mockingbirds feed in the pineapple guava tree. They love the pineapple guava tree. And they have a party when, they're, when this pineapple guava tree is in bloom they're in there eating. They just—I just say—they're dancing. They're singing. They're—it's just—it's hilarious to watch. And so I'm watching them, and I'm kind of reminded of the cross. That this—you know—the pineapple tree is losing its life as a result of them feeding on it, and they are experiencing. So it was kind of the cross picture that was there. And as I'm watching, I find myself sensing. The presence of the Spirit resting upon me, kind of like the lead being placed on, you know, when you're going to the dentist chair and they're going to take x-rays and they put it on, kind of feeling like that, like something heavy was resting on me and, and I'm just kind of full of joy and celebrating with the mockingbirds and then a mockingbird flies over and flies right down to my feet. I'm sitting in a rock chair. If you know mockingbirds, mockingbirds don't do this. They're the most skittish bird that I know. I've tried to even take pictures of them, and they like they know I'm going to take the pictures, so they're jumping someplace, you know. And here he flies down to my to my feet, and he lands right at my feet, and he looks up at me, and I look down at him. Suddenly, I thought, it's kind of like, oh, he's my friend. He looked at me and I could see, I could literally see his eyes going like this and my heart's going like this. And, and uh, so I, I looked at him and I was just about to explode with joy and I can still see his eyes as I, as I talk. Then he walked around and walked under my feet and came back out and looked up at me again. And I had the sense that the Lord was saying to me, this is the way I see the sparrows, of the, the sparrows and the lilies of the field. Because I saw a mockingbird in a way that I'd never seen a mockingbird. We recently went on vacation. Oh, by the way, then the mockingbird walked off looking back at me. And now they, every time I go in the backyard, just celebrate. I, I do this as doves to everything. And, it, was, it impacted me so much that I realized this was the story of, of St. Francis of Assisi. He was noted for having these kinds of experiences. So I said, well, I had a little Assisi moment. I told Evan she bought me a Assisi to put in my backyard. And there's a whole story that goes with that because we went to Assisi and good things happened there too. Catholic Church and they were singing vineyard songs and a whole, whole bunch of other stuff. But you know, all coming from mockingbirds in the backyard. But the Spirit was opened my eyes to this. And we just went on a six-week, 6,000-mile road trip. And I'll tell you, we traveled with the Spirit as kind of a guide. We saw things on that trip that we had never seen before. Because that's, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. See, the reason we have to have Disneyland and all of these spectacular things is because we're blind. to just what's around us. Everywhere where everybody can enjoy it. So that's an example just in the natural. But this thing of seeing others as Jesus sees them. Seeing real beauty in others that maybe we haven't seen. 
I just think about how easy, easy it is for men to get captured by pornography. You know why? Because in men, there's this basic desire to see beauty. And it's like, this is beauty? No, that's airbrush type of stuff. That's not beauty. If you really saw the person, your heart would break. Your heart would break. Not long after my wife and I got married, we were driving down the street in, in Houston. And uh, as we drove down, a prostitute was walking on the other side of the street. And when I saw her, suddenly I became overwhelmed with grief. Just overwhelmed with grief. Because I, I saw this young lady in the way that the Spirit saw her. And it wasn't condemnation, it wasn't guilt, but it neither was it an objectifying her as a sex object. But I saw her as God sees her. Saw her. Changed everything. Everything. It's like Jesus there's a person that's made in the image of God who has become an object, a toy of someone else's gratification. That's the Spirit Seer. It's changed my whole attitude through the years as I've, you know, I don't always practice this. I know what it is to slip into darkness and start seeing people and judging them. See, judgment stops whatever you see by the Spirit. You don't judge others. You see them with God's Spirit. Of course, seeing others in this way is not the ultimate thing of seeing nature and seeing others, although these are life-transforming. I mean, if you see your wife like the Spirit sees her, You'll love her to your dying day. You won't want to do anything other than bring joy and fulfillment to her. That's the way that it is when the Spirit comes. He changes the way you see. You see reality. You see by the Spirit. But of course, the greatest thing is what the blind man experienced when he saw Jesus for who he really is. See, it's easy to see him as just a good teacher. Just a good teacher. What a wise man he was. I, I've had the privilege of interacting with my Muslim friends and I've been, I was in Jordan and Lebanon and we met with religious leaders there and they asked me to talk about Jesus. Maybe 150 of religious leaders, social leaders and so on and they want me to stand and talk about Jesus. And I was a little bit threatened by that. But, you know, in interacting with them, I found that these people knew a lot about Jesus. Matter of fact, they knew a lot more than some Christians know about Jesus. And they were very conversant with me. And whenever I sat down to have a talk with them, they, they wanted to interact with me about Jesus. Some of the leaders that I met with, it, it just shocked you that we talked about Jesus with these leaders. But the fact is, their eyes yet haven't been opened 
and in the whole torment that's taking place in the Middle East, if we could have a concerted prayer of God's people, that their eyes would be opened. They have an understanding that has gone so far, but it would change the Middle East in a moment if their eyes were opened and if the eyes of many people who claim the name of Jesus had their eyes open to where they really saw Jesus for who he is. Transform. My, my, uh, I'm doing all right time-wise, aren't I? Yeah, you know, keep on going. Yeah, okay. I just, uh, just tell this story. And uh, I've told the story about my older grandson who was a rascal and he was, he was just a real problem, real problem. And he was encountered by the Lord and we saw a transformation. Well, I'm living in a new exciting thing in this because my second oldest grandson, on Father's Day, when we got together as a family, he wasn't there because he was on drugs and he was sleeping on the street and he was in a crack house and he was... And that day we didn't know where he was. We didn't know where he was. Evelyn leads in prayer on Father's Day and to bless the family and to bless the, uh, the, the, the fathers. And she prays for Tyler. And we all start weeping because Tyler, we don't know where he is. We don't know what's happening to him. We know he's been at the drug, the, the crack house. They closed the crack house. We don't know where he is. But you know, my prayer is always, Lord, just open people's eyes. Open people's eyes. And first of all, to see the reality of where they are because that's what the Spirit also shows us where we are. And I'm praying that for you today that the Spirit will show you where you are. What are you not seeing? And, uh, well, what we didn't know was he was sleeping in a van at the state park. And two other guys and a sick dog, he said. And he said, my eyes were suddenly opened to where I saw myself. And I saw the reality that I was in. I said, that's the Spirit of God. The Spirit says, convict us of sin and righteousness and judgment. That, that, that's just... It's just to open our eyes to the reality that's there. And uh, so he said, hey, it'd be better for me if I were at home. So I'm going to go back to my parents, just ask them if they'll forgive me and invite me back. And he did, and they did. But he hadn't yet really seen Christ. Well, he, he loves to fish. So he went to a tournament, a Young Life tournament, and he's out fishing, and his friend has to leave him, go back to the boat. And he's out there, and all of a sudden, he said, he told me this, Grandpa, I saw redfish everywhere. He said, there were hundreds of redfish. And I cast out, and I hooked a redfish, and I cast out, and I hooked a redfish. But none of them win the tournament, but he said, a voice spoke to me, and I heard that voice so clearly, and it said, that's enough. And he said, you know, I asked... Right out loud, could I catch one more for the tournament? And it was like the voice said, yes. He cast out and he caught the tournament winner. 
And at that time, he said, I saw the Lord across the water. And his life has been changed radically. We get together and talk two or three hours about the good things of the Lord and amazing transformation that takes place when our eyes are opened. Well, see, what the Spirit wants to do today is he wants to heal some eyes. He wants to heal some eyes. And I'm going to ask the, the worship, um, the ministry teams just to come up. And we're going to have opportunity for you to receive prayer. Maybe you haven't been seeing your spouse. And as I, in the way that God sees her. Or maybe you have a, a problem in relationship and you haven't been seeing others. Or maybe... For you, worship is kind of perfunctory. It's just something you do or being religious, but you just want to have your eyes opened. I'd like for you to stand with me, please. And uh, I think the Lord wants to bring some new sight. Maybe, maybe life's just dull for you. You, you, don't, you know, you drive by beauty every day and you don't, you're not seeing it and it's empty. And he's saying, I want you to have fullness of life. And... Uh, So these are going to be here to pray with you, but I'd like to pray over you first of all. Lord, I thank you for the church here, North Shore, Covington. Thank you for these men and women. Thank you that you brought them here today. Thank you that you're at work in their lives. I pray blessing upon them, Lord. I speak blessing over this community of faith. And I ask, Lord, that there would be something imparted today in the sight that would result in great faith in this community. I pray, Lord, that uh, you would quicken this message to their hearts. That each one would be willing to move into the new insight and understanding that you have for them, a new view of reality. Those that haven't come into a personal relationship with you, may you reveal yourself to them today. May they take that next step of saying yes to you as Lord of their life. Maybe they've seen you primarily up to this point as a great teacher, and they love that, but today they they recognize you're more than that. So open eyes, heal eyes, in Jesus' name, amen.